It's not who you know. It's who knows you. Anonymous. He's kind of crazy. She's a little insane. Keeping Kenny G really messes with his brain. One is divorced. The other's husband is dead. That's why it's so messed up in the head. It's a Silver Linings Playcast. Oh yeah. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Silver Linings Playcast. I'm your host, Jamie Ward, and I am the host of the Silver Linings Playcast. Like I just said, as far as I know, it's the only podcast solely devoted to talking about Silver Linings Playbook, the movie, and the Silver Linings Playbook, the book. We have a very special episode this week because we have a very special guest. I've been having really really sort of not great episodes the last couple of weeks. Uh, the last one being me just recording the fact that I wasn't going to record an episode, but we got a real episode for you this week. And like I said, super special guest. Uh, he has been one of my friends. As long as I've been in comedy, we met very early on in my career. We've been buddies, uh, for a little over a decade. Now he is a comedian. He is a filmmaker, music producer, uh, musician. He is in a band. He's got so many credits. He's a Renaissance entertainer, uh, man, and a just all around content creator. So please welcome to the Silver Linings podcast, David Christ. David, how are hey, you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Thanks. That was a great intro. Uh, that's you, you really like being a whore. You put it in the most beautiful way. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I, I, I turn it on for the podcast because uh, all, all three people want to know what's up with me. They, this is this is mostly my way to tell them I'm alive for another week. <laughs> well, I mean, in, in some circles, that's important. <laughs> in in the comedy circles, it's especially important. We were talking about that earlier today. Uh, how? How? And I don't mean how many to, of our friends have died on the road? Oh dude. God! Great, great conversation. It's true. <laughs> I know, right? It's it's. It's like the horrible thing that no one tells anyone about comedy. No, it's like no one ever tells you like, "Hey, you're gonna lose all your friends, and there's an 85 percent chance you're just gonna die lonely on the road." Yeah, like I think most comics will end up uh, if you're a successful comic, uh, you die in a hotel somewhere. There's like a 90 percent chance of that, and if you're an unsuccessful comic, uh, you die in your girlfriend's basement uh on a sofa where you've been sleeping and broken up with her but still living there uh or something that just rings home for too many people (laughs) (laughs) that i know oh that's great i know right what a Uh, great way to start a podcast absolutely dude it's the only way it is the this is great uh, how long how long have you been doing comedy uh well actually okay let me ask this because I met you uh, because we were both doing comedy and getting into an Atlanta at the same time. But when did you start comedy? And when did you start? Because you were doing music before then, right? When did you become a content creator, entertainer? Well, yeah. Do, hey, do you mind if I smoke in here? Please do. I actually insist. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> well, so... <clears throat> It actually kind of all started with the birth of my second child. I was like, I was starting to have this existential breakdown, and I'm like, what am I going to do? I have two sons now. I can't show them a legacy of someone who just goes to work every day and is suicidal and depressed all the time. (laughs) It was kind (laughs) of like a a minor awakening moment, because I'm like, I have to teach two other men how to do this. And then I just fucked it up from there. Um, I probably just overthought it. That's my biggest problem. And so I was like, I got to, I got to chase one of my dreams. Cause I had kind of given up on my dreams mm-hmm. to have a family. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, is that what having a family is giving up on your dreams? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is exactly what having a family is. Um, well, it's just, it's, it's, I don't know. It's, 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 it's complicated, but anyway, yeah. Um, I kind of just given up and was like resigned myself and I was always trying to do creative things because um, you know I was doing music production and, and like uh, audio engineering before I became a comedian and I didn't like doing that as much because I had a really hard time working with a team right I'm I'm insufferable and I'm really hard to work with 
And so it was really hard to find people to work as a team with when I when I was an engineer. And when you're an engineer, you, you kind of if you don't make your own music, you need other music to engineer. Mm-hmm. And so, well, I didn't really like anyone, and I didn't really find anyone that I wanted to do any work for. So I just, you know, was like, ah, oh, this isn't going to work. And so I just started going to work every day, and having kids uh, with the wrong woman. And uh, just, you know, accepting that life as my reality and just kind of, it just kept crashing and crashing because my heart wasn't in it. My heart wasn't in it. And and then, like I said, when I had the second child, I was like, shit, I got to do something. And that's when I started doing comedy. It was uh, August 3rd, what, 2000 and, ah, oh, shit. Max's wife would kill me because I can't because it was the same year as my my second son's birthday. I can't remember what year it was because I don't live in time anymore. Yeah. You see, you see, time doesn't exist to me anymore. But was it two thousand nine? Somewhere or around there. Ten, okay, it's definitely somewhere around there. Uh, I think it might have been two thousand ten. I'm uh, I'm only curious. I just I remember uh, I started in two thousand nine. Uh, the only reason I remember is that my first show was the day after my birthday, October 12th, 2009. Nice. Uh, so I just lie and I say it was on my birthday. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, no, it actually was August 3rd, 2010. Um, and I think I met you probably within the first two months of doing comedy. Um, I'm sorry about I got, that. No, no, it was actually it was actually the best thing because... I hated everyone else. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, that was the thing. It was like I, st- I started, I went to a coffee shop. I found out about an open mic at a coffee shop in Kennesaw, Georgia. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start. Today I'm going to start going after a dream of mine, which was to be some sort of entertainer. I didn't really know what that would look like. I was just, this is, I want to maybe try to do comedy because I felt that I would be good at it. And so uh, I think after the second performance there, I was banned from that venue. And so it forced <laughs> me to look elsewhere because I had already been bitten with the bug. You know, you do, if, if you if you make it up to your second stand, stand up, open mic, yeah. you're hooked for life, right? I think if you can, if you do it the first time and it doesn't completely destroy you, you're probably going to be absolutely for life. You know, absolutely. Because there's there's nothing there's nothing better than having all the attention on you, especially for the narcissists that gravitate towards to comedy. <laughs> I was I was telling it like last night. I, you, you know, you've been following my uh, quasi quit. From comedy for the last <laughs> right, ten, right. Years. ten years, and so I'm, the, I'm, the ten year, year yeah. stretch of quitting comedy. I'm coming off of a hiatus, and I got just the last minute booking last night to go up to Chattanooga, Tennessee, uh, where they wanted me to do a half an hour closing out their their local open mic, and it was the first show I've done in several years, considering I took uh, you know a year and a half off for the pandemic and stuff. Um, where there was a really receptive civilian non-comic audience that was digging the sort of darker, dirtier stuff I do, the stuff I like doing. Right, Um, right. And it just, it felt amazing. As depressed as I had been uh, about the career, um, I've, a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago, I had what was technically one of the biggest things in my career on, on paper. I filmed my first special, um, but I had to be super clean for it. It felt better just doing what I wanted for people that were digging it. And, uh, yeah, I'm hooked. I can't stop. I can't, I wish I could. Yeah, I know. Right. I was like, I, I was able to, I was kind of able to rationalize my way to quit comedy, you know, because the things that I want to do still capture the essence of what being a stand-up comic comic is, um, which is why, you know, well, one reason it was like, I was going out doing comedy again. I took a couple years off, you know, and kind of went through my divorce, lost my kids, lost everything. Long story short, uh, crashed completely, damn near killed myself. And I didn't, 
um, clearly. And so after this whole big awakening moment, after I tried to like kill myself, I decided to just really go in, really go all in into all my dreams. You know what I mean? I'm like, you know, fuck it. Life could be over any minute. I should just, you know, throw caution to the wind and just follow my heart and, and, and just see where I end up, you know? Absolutely. And it was like from, it was a complete 180 you know, from my previous life, because uh, I ended up, you know, becoming homeless and all, you know, this is this whole long story. But anyway, the whole thing as it relates to the comedy, I started coming out and doing comedy again, because I knew that always felt good, you know. And so I was like, well, how can I really utilize this into my future plans as I'm kind of chasing my dreams? And so I started going out and I started working on just being able to go on stage and talk you know yeah it's without any written material and because that, that was like that's what i want to do i was like that's what i want to do that sounds absurd i want to be able to just go up on stage start talking make the crowd feel something and leave you know what i mean absolutely and then it was like as i was doing comedy i started to notice you know how many how many people were policing other people on the content you know um, because it's, it's like comedy is becoming like more and more PC on the, on like the ground level. You know what I mean? It's and like a lot of like venues that we would go to and like open mics in Charlotte, you know, there'd be a lot of people that would hesitate to do certain things or say certain things. And it was just it kind of made the whole scene uncomfortable. You know what I mean? And I was like, how can I, how can I still have this and get around this? And that's the one I was like, okay, I should just be a preacher. <laughs> you know, I was like, I'll just be a preacher because that's essentially an hour of stand up every week, depending on your perspective. And, <laughs> and then I would, you know, that way that would, that would alleviate me of really, you know, having to watch my tongue, you know what I mean? And worry about if I say something and I was like, oh, that people can just be like, oh, he's he's a lunatic preacher. Of course he would say something like that, and they'd move on. And I'd just get swept under the rug, but I'd still be doing what I love to do. Yeah. So, yeah, I love how so, uh, comics like to say that comedy is, is they, they pride themselves on it being the last bastion of free speech, and then yet they police themselves so right. much and complain <laughs> about cancel culture too, when really all, he, all they have to do is talk. That's, that's the only requirement to be a comic. Right, yeah, uh, no, and that's yeah, what you're doing. You're 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 doing it your own way. Right, right, I yeah. I love it. It's just it's just like that was the thing. It was like, how can I? Like, it's like I don't want to be. I don't. I don't want to be canceled. You know, because I still have strong opinions about things that may offend people. You know, and it's like, what do I do? And it's like, oh, well, you know, clearly preaching is the answer. And it was like that's that's when I met God. <laughs> and that's what I that's what I developed my own personal relationship with God. <laughs> that's that's great. I, I love that so backwards too because I think a lot of comics get into comics and I'm I'm using the term comic lightly. Right. Uh, people that attend open mics, uh, I think they find the other way. They they had something terrible go on in their life. Uh, they lose whatever faith they did have, and then they try to find it in stand up comedy. Oh, but they're really just looking for personal attention. But you found some of that, too. You found both of those things, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, no, totally. I mean, it was like, it's like, it's it's so weird, you know, coming from the life that I came from and then moving into this new life that I'm living where, you know, things are just kind of flowing in my direction. Things are just kind of going my way. Like, it used to never go that way. I was always angry, and it was like, but I really did a lot of during that whole you know period of time when I you know was going to kill myself. I did a really, really deep amount of soul searching. I did a lot of personal you know analyzation and personal development to try and like really take my every every part of my mental health. I wanted to take head on. You know what I mean? Because when I really looked at it, it was like these things are not really contributing to me being happy at all and so i need to get a handle on them period and so i spent like 
I started doing all this meditation. I started eating healthier. I started doing all this, what would turn out to be spiritual stuff, you know, because mm-hmm. I, I, I wasn't necessarily spiritual when I began this journey. It was more of a, I was going to, my goals when I, when I decided to become like an artist, like an all-around entertainer and have like a church was to really just, you know, like kind of make a mockery of the whole thing. You know what I mean? That was my that was my intentions to begin with was to kind of make a mockery of the whole church system, but actually use it in the way it was intended to be used to actually kind of take care of people. Because I've already reached that point in my mindset where money doesn't necessarily where I know that money doesn't really buy happiness, where money isn't the goal. For me, it's about how I spend my time and 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 how fulfilling that time is. Yeah. And and I and, and as I've been doing that, as I've been focusing on that, more money has just been coming in. I mean, I just I literally just fell into an acting gig, you know what I mean, out of nowhere. So now I'm like adding actor to my, you know, repertoire of things that I do, you know, and it's just like it was like having that kind of a spiritual awakening that really just and all it and all it really is at the end of the day was just me really connecting with myself. Right. So when I say things like spiritual or God or anything, it's really, you know, it's like this is really just connecting with what was already inside me that I was not <laughs> listening to as I grew up. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And and so it's like the church that I have isn't like a regular church. It's 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 mostly um it's really just action based. I have a lot of programs and initiatives that I'm going to use the church money for, rather than get building big churches. I'm going to build big communities. I want to get the veterans off the street. Uh, that's one of my first initiatives with my church is to build self-sustaining communities across the you know United States that will house the veterans, rehabilitate the veterans, and let the veterans get to a point where they can. You know, regain, rejoin society at the way Wait, you know, the slow, way that they want to slow do. Slow down. So you want your church to be going out and doing good things, like totally following the good things of Christ. You d- are you sure you don't want to make your top priority uh, finding everybody that's different than you <laughs> and telling them? That they're gonna go to hell? Yeah, no, no. That's 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 actually the last thing I want to do because. Yeah. It's not, as the thing is, it's not conducive to a healthy mind. You know what I mean? And at the end of the day, I think all religions were created to kind of give us a way to explain things to ourselves. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And so when you really look at it, all of it is just art. It kind of takes on a whole new, you know, um, resonance. And it's like, okay this is really insane because of x y and z or whatever but at the end of the day like that was the thing i i I got to a point in my life where i said i said to myself i can't trust anything i've been taught you know what i mean from school from my parents from anyone because i grew up in poverty and when you grow up in poverty there isn't a lot of wisdom around Right. There isn't a lot of people who really know themselves who have like a sovereign soul and they're like, you know, I'm doing this. It's most of poverty is just people who get trapped in the system and don't know how to get out. And and that's what I ultimately want to alleviate with my communities. I want the communities to get to a point where, you know, we've alleviated homelessness and most of the really bad mental illnesses. And now we have communities where. If you're stuck in a nine to five job and you don't and you don't know how to get out, we'll say, "Hey, quit your life, come live with us for a year, figure it out, and you can decide whether you want to go back into society or, you know, fit into the community somehow." You know, I love that. That's and, uh, that is so amazing and very positive. Um, yeah, yeah I, totally. <laughs> I want to stick a, a pin in this because I want to come back to this because you brought up several things and I definitely want to talk to you about uh, your new acting role that came in. I can't have this podcast and I can't have you on a guest without asking you, though. First off, have you ever seen the movie Silver Lining's Playbook? My new girlfriend actually made me watch that movie probably within a month of... F- made you watch yeah, it? Yeah, she's you know, like, you got to watch this movie. What do you think of it? you got to watch this movie. No, I actually enjoyed it. Um, I actually enjoyed it. There was, 
The only problem I really had with it was um, I I was very you know deeply connected to the mental illness that um, Bradley Cooper's characters come kind of from um, with like that that really that rage. Uh, and I had I had to work on that to get that under control. And so my only real beef with it, because I had a chip on my shoulder watching it, because I'm, for those people who don't know, I'm biracial, and I was and I grew up with black people, so I always considered myself a black man. Which that happened. <laughs> I'm sure me and Jamie got plenty of hilarious stories of my content <laughs> when I was a comic, uh, and how that all panned out because I look very white. And so nobody would ever guess right now that it's an Asian guy. Talking to uh, a half black, half white guy. If they were just listening to our voices, they'd yeah, be like, right. "This so, is the best uh, NPR or worst NPR show ever." But uh, <laughs> no, I should have prefaced that. If in case anybody other than my three normal listeners who know me, and I know, uh, right. but yeah, yeah. But um, all right. So the um. Well, I can't even remember where I was going. You were talking about how you were relating to the... the oh, right, right. Well, that was my only thing, the chip on my shoulder, right? Because it was like... Like, watching white people get coddled around their mental illness as where black people are, like, punished for their mental illness. You know what I mean? It was like his parents were so patient with him. You know what I mean? It was like, if that were a black family... He just he just would have been a quiet kid the rest of his life. Dude, I love this. I was actually so my original intent was that I was going to say, and I meant this in a complimentary way, that I I actually think that a lot of the good qualities in the protagonist from Silver Linings Playbook I see in your life because you're a person that had had dealt with hardship and uh, mental illness problems, but you've like fought through a lot of that to be a very productive person sort of living the mantra that the character did but i'm always interested in different takes and and to put that racial spin on it um is really interesting in this concept context right. because i have not had that conversation and i think you are pointing out something that uh, myself have been raised in a, a completely white household too um i've had to learn about uh the differences in in uh the different communities in America and there are, you know, different um, cultural sensibilities and the way they relate to one another. What you're saying, I'm one of the things I'm thinking of specifically in the movie, uh, the, the police are called regularly on Bradley Cooper and they basically right. leave it with a, like, Oh, you're just uh, having a little ADD right now. Uh, calm down, buddy. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, it was like those parts of the movies infuriated me, but I couldn't really show it because I'm watching it with my girlfriend and she <laughs> loves this movie, right? And, and she's black and she loves this movie because she's, she's, she's into anything romance, right? And yeah. Anything that's romantic, she's a super girly girl. And so she, she really loves this movie and she really wanted me to love it. So I was like, I'm like holding in my rage this whole time because I'm like, this would never happen to black people. <laughs> Dude, okay, so so wait, do we need we need to make and 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 I think actually we should do a better job than just making a parody. Uh, I don't think that's like and but we we you and I should actually write a script that approaches some of the topics but from a different um uh, cultural perspective. Right. Too. Yeah, like no, you, just to, just imagine a black guy running in a jogging in front of your house every day because he likes your daughter. Dude, okay. Actually, I'm, and now I'm thinking about it too, because uh, you have, um, it's it's such a white take, uh, completely across the board. Because you even have um, Chris Tucker, who is with him in the the mental institution, right. too. And uh, and I have to say, I I love him in that role. He's a uh, 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 does a really great job. Yeah, did, it felt it felt authentic. Um, his character but in that, again, in that you have the same sort of like this is this is through the lens of people that uh, read a book on mental illness, but don't really <laughs> seem to because because you know he's just this goofy friend. It's like he's playing this game. He keeps sneaking out, and they just bring right. him back. He's like, oh, okay, <laughs> got me. I'm going back. But like, there's you, right. But now you're making me think. You're making me think how dark this whole movie is. Because and and I'm now and this is a serious moment. But um, like, how many uh, of the news stories over the, the last decade of of some of the people that have been shot uh, in 
in police incidents, incidents was it found out that they they had different uh, mental illness problems, and that's what they were actually uh, right, yeah. dealing with. And, exactly. and the police just didn't want to deal with it. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, no, this thing is like, as someone who is like, I haven't been officially diagnosed because I'm poor, but I'm pretty sure I'm somewhere on the spectrum. Right. <laughs> I don't want to say what it is because I haven't been officially diagnosed, but I would definitely lean to say it's very close to Asperger's in a way. Um, and so and, and I have a really, really, really big problem with authority like that. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I'm the type of person that like like everything that Bradley Cooper was, I was at one point. You know what I mean? Like I would lash out at people and like, you know, destroy things. You know, I was like I was a horrible person and like. It was just like, just because it was that rage would take over. And it was just like, shit. Do you know how I, you dealt with that at all? Because uh, I, since I've since I've reconnected with you a couple years ago, first in Charlotte, mm-hmm. um, and then, then since you moved back here, uh, the time that I met you at the uh, the new Crown Station, yep, I yep. think, a couple years ago, um, you, you seem to have a whole different... Uh, and healthier outlook on life that had seemed to to uh, I don't want to I don't want to like overstep my bounds in saying uh, what you've been through, but observationally it looked like some very good changes in your mental state. No, yeah, definitely. Well, that was the thing. It was like I really just dug deep and did the work on myself. You know, it was it was answering every why question that I had about myself in my head and going just really unpacking my trauma, unpacking everything to the point where it was like, because that was the thing is when I got to the point where I was going to kill myself, there was a wave of peace that washed over me that I had never felt in my life. And it was like, and it was because I just carried stress around all the time you know what i mean yeah like there was never a point in my life where i just wasn't carrying some level of stress around on a on a very deep level on a very shallow and deep level there's just so much i was carrying around mentally and when i when i went through this process of gonna like when i decided to kill myself i made myself kind of go into every person's life that i was a part of and really you know, think about, okay, how, you know, how is this going to, you know, how am I going to feel not ever having this, seeing this person again? It was kind of like the reverse of when someone dies, it's like, oh, I'm never going to see this person again. Well, I'm about to die. So I want to know how I'm going to feel never seeing you again, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I went through this really cathartic process of doing that with like everyone and everyone that I knew, like that was close to me and just kind of let them all go. And a lot of those, you know, and then as I got came closer to the point of killing myself, it was just I got lighter and lighter and lighter. And then one day it was just like a flip, like a switch went off. Once I had like released all that stress, there was a switch that kind of just went off and I felt and I was I just felt I was living life differently. And things felt differently due to that switch. And so I was like, okay, maybe I won't kill myself because I want to explore what this feeling is because I've never felt it in my life. And if, if I can get more of this feeling, then maybe life wouldn't be so bad. And so that kind of led me into just observing, you know, why and, and thinking. And I became, I became a hermit for about a year and a half. I didn't go out. I didn't, it was just me. I would go out and I'd go to work and I would, you know, interact with my kids. But that was, that was pretty much it. And it was mostly studying. I would just, you know, anything that I felt like I wanted to learn, I just went for it. Started reading tons of books. Do you have any recommendations for other people looking for these kinds of revelations? I mean, honestly, the best thing to do in this situation is to follow your own synchronicities, right? Because that's kind of how I ended up getting into the church space. Mm Mm-hmm. Because as I began to, you know, live and put these things together, I was doing it my way. I was doing, I wasn't listening to anyone's real advice. 
I was paying attention to the synchronicities that would come up. Uh, anyone listening, I say you always need to start with the basics. And I would just, you know, I started with like the basics of like uh, like the Tao or the Tao or whatever they call it. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the ancient like spiritual texts and things like that. Um, because I was raised a Christian, I avoided, you know, dig- digging into Christianity before I knew the rest of the story. Um, because I knew that Christianity was just part of the story. And so I just began to research, you know, like, you know, ancient Samaria, all like the civilizations and their cultures and what they believed and all that stuff, and just started to kind of look at it from a very observant perspective and just kind of take the things out of it that resonated with me, you know, and not really marry myself to any one idea i was just kind of picking the things that resonated and the things that i that really that really felt true and i just kind of take them and catalog them and move on and you know i just kept you know going deeper and deeper into the rabbit hole and being able to kind of you know taught myself how to meditate it was like everything i was doing i was just listening to that intu- intuitive voice in my head you know what i mean sure. I, I would i would take a breath and then i would sit back and i would say okay and i would i would literally ask my brain a question i would say okay um how should i do this or you know what do i need to learn first and then so then i would get this feeling of meditation and so i started to learn meditation i was like how do i learn meditation and i was just, it was like it was like listening to a an ai almost mm-hmm. you know just describe things to me and just listen to how to do it and then i started kind of you know doing it you know non skeptically right it was like i was like okay fine i'll give all this a real honest try cuz i noticed in my life before this moment, when I would try things, I wasn't giving things an honest try, right? I wasn't really open to the things I was trying, so it was really, it really wasn't giving me the real experience. And when I realized that, I was like, I need to change that. So I went through this whole list of things I needed to change about myself, sure, um, and just really focused on those, and just started getting deeper and deeper, and kind of going from there, and you know, uh, really started getting into. Um, miraculous things started happening in my life that I really couldn't explain, right? Like just weird things. Like there was this time where I had lost my job, lost my car, and I needed to get a new job. But I, I lived like in this fucking weird ass area in Charlotte, <laughs> and the bus didn't really get to where I was, so I had to like get up every morning at like four o'clock to catch the bus to be at work by nine. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it was just like. I was doing that, and then I was like, all right, fuck this. I'm going to get a new job. I started to get a new job, but it, it wasn't even on the bus route. But it turns out a guy I used to work with got hired at the same time, and he lived right around the corner. So he ended up was able to kind of give me rides to and from work for most of the time. And then I actually ended up buying a car from my boss for like 2400 bucks, and it was like the best car I'd ever bought in my life. It was like a 2006 Toyota Avalon. And it was like blue booked at like six thousand. He gave it to me for twenty four hundred, and it was like all this shit was happening in my life, and all and all I was doing was working on myself. I wasn't really doing anything to really, you know, facilitate these good things that were happening, other than really just working on myself, focusing on myself, focusing on how my brain operates and how it thinks, and, and making sure that I ignore and manage some of the, you know, the, the destructive thoughts that I would have over time, yeah. and just really focused on my own mental health throughout that whole time, and I started to really just feel better and better, um, and just kind of, you know, every time I, you know, want to do something, like, I was like, all right, I'd have this idea, because as I'm growing spiritually and growing you know more i'm like okay i'm starting to see that things that i thought were impossible i could actually attain you know so it was like i never thought i'd have a band so i ended up meeting a guy in comedy we started a band and i love this band it's david christ the apocalypse uh we just released 1-800 happy now which is a dope super dope album but it was like i never thought that i would ever have anything like that because i grew up so poor i didn't even have the access to instruments you know what i mean Yeah, yeah like i couldn't I, I was like, there was so many things I didn't do because I couldn't afford to do it. You know what I mean? It was like I couldn't afford to buy the instrument and to ma- to maintain it or whatever. It was just like, it was like, what's going on? I was like, I, and I accepted that as part of life because that's how I grew up. And I didn't know any different. And it's really tough 
to break a poverty mindset because you start that poverty mindset as soon as you're born because you're inheriting all your parents' bad poverty habits. You're inheriting society's bad poverty habits because you're going to act like the people that you live around, typically, yeah. unless you have some kind of you know, traumatic awakening moment that forces you to not listen to them. But I kind of, I was like in safe poverty. It was like, we, we just made enough to have a comfortable enough life to not think about all these things that I ended up having to think about when I lost everything. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and it was probably the most detrimental thing for me as a human, that kind of comfortable poverty that, you know, you don't realize you're in because you live you live outside of yourself in your own head all the time thinking that you're much better than you are when at the end of the day you know push comes to shove you're gonna get shot by <laughs> by the government just like i will at the end of the day right because you live here and we're, we're both in poverty you don't really contribute anything to society you're you know it's like those are the kind of things it's like there's just waves and waves of people that don't really contribute anything and they're depressed but that's the thing it's the best thing that i you know can what contribute. i am i know what i am <laughs> someone that doesn't contribute anything to society and depressed well, that's the thing is like the best thing that you can contribute to society is yourself, right? And the, and the better you can express yourself, the better that you can communicate yourself, the better you are for society because we lack communication in society. I think it's like, like people like you and me are at a, at a very, um, we're at an advantage in today's world, right? Because we've done comedy and because we've learned how to communicate, it gives us an edge, Right, it gives us an edge in communication, and this is, this is what the f network is 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 based on is communication, right? You can't they communicate. The internet doesn't exist without communication, and so it's really. And this thing is, the more you dig into being an artist, that was the thing is me choosing to kind of be an artist that would that didn't have any defined lines. Mm -hmm versus choosing to be a comedian kind of really opened me up because when I chose to be a comedian, I was kind of subconsciously putting boundaries on what I was going to do and not do. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so when I kind of made that transition into just an artist and just doing everything that makes my heart feel great, it was like I couldn't lose. I just felt like I just couldn't lose because it was like I was doing what I wanted to do typically when I wanted to do it because I wanted to do it and it, you know, warmed my heart. And then, and that was just what I got out of it. You know what I mean? It wasn't really about anything else other than that. And that just, you know, that, that in itself made people gravitate towards me. You know what I mean? Because I do come off as very authentic and like a, you know, one-on-one -on -one conversation because I've, you know, been through a lot and have humbled myself greatly and i understand that life is hard for everybody and that you know communication is the key to get anything and you never know who you're going to talk to that could really change your life you know what i mean like that was the thing is like all my life changing events have come through people that i just met at randomly because of some you know kismetic you know stars Absolutely. aligning moment you know Sure. Even like I, uh, me meeting you too. It's funny um, because we, when you first start into comedy, you meet so many people. You you know you you're going to an open mic where you're meeting ten to twenty, brand new. Uh, they're not all new, but they're new to you. Ambitious people mm -hmm. that are trying to get into this field, and you don't like. We're so excited when I first started. I wanted to connect with every single one of them. And then pretty soon I realized not all these people are worth uh, connecting <laughs> with long term. Yeah. Like I like to keep, I, you know, I, I like to not ruffle feathers. I get along with everybody. Um, but, you know, you're not going to become business partners or romantic partners. Like think with every single one, a lot of them will disappear. Right, right. Like we were talking about. But it's funny because you, um, I felt very strongly there was some, and exactly, exactly what you're talking about. Uh, authenticity uh, about what you were doing on stage and you needed to find your voice a little bit I mean we all did we were brand new um, right right we didn't know nearly what we know now about the fields that or even related things 
communication, even just the skills of communication. But you had yeah. an authenticity, unlike anything else I was seeing from the other people, and I loved it. Thanks. And I, th- I think that's why we've been uh, friends for the last uh, ten years too, even with with long breaks. But I mean, that's just we yeah, all it's just get life. lazy. It's, it's like <laughs> I don't know. It's like most of most of anybody who is my friend usually has to contact me because I'm I'm so autistic that I'll just get into a zone where I'm doing my thing and nothing else exists and that that could last for months but i think you manifest things too because so one of the things i wanted to ask you about you just got an acting yeah and you're saying that fell into your lap uh can you tell us about Um, that or how you got that or what that's going to be or what like that's exciting no totally um well i just got casted as a russian um and it sounds funny because you probably are hearing a very thick country accent (laughs) <laughs> so I got uh, cast as a Russian like okay, sex we got, trafficker. Let's pause one second. Do you has anybody ever told you you sound like somebody famous? Because I've been slightly distracted this whole time, thinking you could do the best impression ever of one of my favorite actors of all time. Somebody's told I had somebody tell me that I sounded a lot like Nicolas Cage. Perfect. That's exactly who I was thinking of. Yeah, and and, and believe me, there's nothing I want more than to really hone down that. Uh, can you say one thing for me? I can try. <laughs> um, your cadence is different, but tonally, you could totally do it. Like if you put a little effort into to studying, because he has such a unique, um, like pausing at weird. Yeah, spots. no, no. I love I love Nicolas Cage. But, I love watching Nicolas, yeah. Nick, Nick Cage movies. Like. I don't care how bad they are. I'll I'll watch a Nick Cage movie. It's you know just because he sounds the way he sounds. <laughs> yeah. No, me and my friend were we're totally fanning over him. I think um, he's he's gotten like this sort of meme popularity over the yeah. last five years. But I like that's not even why I like him. I like him just because he's he's sort of this unapologetic actor who's like I'll do all these weird things, and he puts his all into whatever it is. And he has some really fun roles, and and when he nails it, he nails it. Yeah, um, no, totally. That's like when he nails it, he nails it, and it's it's the it's the most fun thing to watch on screen. In fact, like his acting is sort of the version of the of what I like my philosophy of comedy to be. You know, it's like I can I can do that corporate thing, uh, I can do that leaving Las Vegas that you know um, takes a run at the Academy Awards, but also sometimes I just like to do a project that I want to do. And nobody might understand it. It might not be The Rock. It might not be Con Air. Uh, <laughs> but it's weird, and I like it. <laughs> um, sometimes it might be The Wicker Man, and it's just critically panned by everyone across the board. Uh, but you know what? That's just what happens sometimes. Um, anyway, I'm sorry. So you're playing a Russian sex trafficker. Yep, I'm playing a Russian sex trafficker. I die on the screen, and... Uh yeah, it's uh, it's like kind of. I guess he's kind of like um, like I said. This all just kind of happened. I, I met this the guy who's doing all these movies. Um, I was trying to look up the name of the film group, um, but he's doing all these different movies and stuff out of his own pocket and stuff. Uh, independent film, and I met him at one of his movie premieres, and um, he's you know he's definitely got a lot of potential as a writer and an actor and stuff like that. Um, and, and he's just he's just doing it, you know, and that's the thing I wanted to be around. That thing was like, so, so as you, I know you mentioned, I like manifested earlier. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of exactly what, you know, the process was when I started thinking about, you know, anytime you're trying to accomplish something, you know, that's going to take some form of manifestation. And that's kind of what I get into more about in the church, because that's what I want to help, you know, because help clear all that up because once you kind of understand the basics of it you know all the other bullshit around religion is unnecessary and you can stick to the basics and you can really change your life by sticking to the basics and that's what i want to you know do with my communities with the homeless and the veterans and stuff like that just bring them in because you got to have you got to have time to you gotta have time to rest and this thing people who are homeless can never rest and so as, as you let the brain rest, then you can upload the brain with new information. And so that's what the communities are kind of based around. But anyway, the, um, yeah, I was just, you know, that's the thing. It was just like, I was 
for a period of time, like when, I mean, it's kind of how I operate my life now is I'm always trying to be present, you know, making decisions in the present without getting too far out of my head on how am I going to do this or, you know, how am I going to make this happen? I just make decisions that are like today decisions that align with my goals and my aspirations because I've already done the thinking around what I want to do with my life. It makes it a lot easier to make decisions when I'm given opportunities because I can say, does this, you know, does this have an opportunity to, to lead me where I want to go in life or does it not? And if it doesn't, I can easily just decline it. And if it does, I can take it and I don't have to worry about the pay or anything because I know it's part of my path. Yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And so, I met this guy at his movie premiere and, you know, we exchanged words and we just kind of talked about, you know, the dreams of, of making movies and stuff. Cause I mean, that's, that's something that's always been really close to me in my heart is being in movies and making movies. And so we connected because I was just authentic. You know, he could tell I was authentic. We, you know, re hit it off. And then, um, I'm sitting around, I get a text message on my phone and he's like, Hey, I got a, um, He's like, hey, how you doing? Yada yada yada. He's like, you got the look. I want you to, I want you to uh, read for my, for my movie. Uh, I think it's called. It's the movie's called Keys and Cuffs. Um, I'll get the group name here in a minute. But anyway, he's like, I want you to read for the movie and and see if you can do like a Russian accent. Because he thought that I, you know, I looked like um, the part. I guess he had in mind. Yeah, I could see it. And so I was like, uh, I've never done Russian, but I'll study it for 12 hours and I'll send you a tape. And so I watched a few Russian movies that day, um, you know, talked to my girlfriend who knows a lot about linguistics and stuff. And she kind of gave me some pointers on the things that Russians would and wouldn't say in, in English. And I uh, watched a few like how-to videos on YouTube. Uh, recorded a few takes, sat on it, then recorded, re- made up my mind. I was like, all right, I'm going to do it. She recorded it, did it in like one takes, cut it up, sent it to him. I was like, you know, with no real emotions attached to it because I was like, you know, it just fell in my lap. What's the worst? You know, there's nothing bad that can happen at this point. You yeah, know what I mean? Absolutely. And it's like, I might as well just do it and I might as well put my all into it because there's really nothing bad that can happen at this point. And if they say no, it's like, oh, big deal. It gave me the motivation to go ahead and record a character reel. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, um, he hit me, and then he immediately called me when he got the video, and he was like, I love it. Um, I want to offer you the role. Here's all the details, yada, yada, yada. Um, and now I'm... Now I'm going to have an IMDb page That's as well fantastic. as uh, an album on Spotify. Yeah, I, congratulations I'm, so thank much. You, thank you. I'm 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 living the Renaissance life that I want to live. I just haven't started getting the Renaissance money that I want to have. <laughs> you might be getting that Renaissance money. Uh, you might get the plague um, <laughs> if you're poor and being taxed right. by a uh, you know a monarchy. Bring out your dead. <laughs> No, it's very Renaissanceatic. Um, you just mentioned uh, your your music side too, and I know you just released. Uh, was it your band's second now. album? Um, technically, it's our third. Okay. Um, we our first album was just kind of like me doing. That was like my first. I was like, I, I need to I need to make an album because because I think making music is very is a very powerful manifestation tool. Right. Absolutely. Um, and so, you know, putting those thoughts into words and, and, and putting them onto some kind of medium is very, um, you know, very, very magical, to say the least. And so, you know, being a musician was something that was always close to my heart. So it was just part of me following my dreams. And I was like, I don't really I'm not really good at making beats and stuff. And, I, and my voice probably I think my voice sucks. And so it was just like, I need to just do it. And so the first album... If you're getting uh, told you sound like Nicolas Cage, your voice does not suck. Well, yeah, no, it I'm starting to realize perfect. that now. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like, it's like I, I never heard it like that. I never heard it like Nicolas Cage. But um, that's the thing is like, I just, I was just like, I have to do it. I have to do it. F- and I have to do it for a manifestation reason mm-hmm. for any, if anything else, you know what I mean? Sure. 
because it's kind of like the path of least resistance to a manifestation because I don't, you know, or I could just write it down and do all this other bullshit, but I'd rather just make the music because the music puts you through the emotions that you need to generate that energy for manifestation. And so I just, you know, did the first album. It's kind of a mix between rock and rap a little bit, you know, kind of trying to find our own unique sound and, you know, and then the second album we did was a full-blown like rock album. It's called Golden Sabbath. Uh, it came out, uh, I think, close to my birthday in 2020, somewhere around June 19th. Um, I really enjoyed that album. I hated the original mix, um, so we actually did a re-release of that album um, after I got it mixed better. Um, and I enjoy it much more, much more now that it's mixed. But then we uh, released 1-800-HAPPY-NOW on 9-11-2021. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. 1-800-HAPPY-NOW. Uh, um, it's probably, it's definitely our best album so far. Uh, it's probably the biggest, uh, it's probably got the biggest reach, the, the better entry points. Um, because it spans a lot of different genres, I think. And it's, uh, I like to kind of consider it the uh, bizarro world pop hits, you know what I mean, uh, from the 80s and 90s. And so we kind of, that's kind of the vision we took with it was we wanted to kind of mimic pop, but kind of in our own way and kind of do our own thing with it and kind of just take things from everywhere and just see how it turned out. And we really, um, we really love the way it turned out. It sounds great. Um, definitely tells a story. There's a lot of messages in the music because um, that's, that's kind of what I, you know, what I want to do is, you know, when I when I come across some wisdom, I break it down and I put it into music, and you know, so that way it lives on, and that wisdom can be spread, you know, far and wide. At hopefully one one day. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I love all of that. You have you have uh, taken us on a journey that is much deeper than most of these episodes normally yeah well, that's the thing most but people I like suck it. i like it yeah <laughs> um it, it's and it's mostly because i've had to had a had a, a sort of a superficial conversation with some of the other people um i say superficial like it's demi- not any every conversation and i think that's part of uh if anything uh all all the things you were saying and who you are and who i am lends itself to the idea that uh every conversation is unique every relationship with people are unique and the podcast that we created today uh is just a product of what is going on in your head what is going on in my head and what is what then the world that is created by uh whether even those two things are really two unique individual things or if they're part of their two little circuits and a big old simulation that uh, might actually just be making us believe that we're all individuals and we're really not i don't I don't know. I'm not that deep. I only slept for an hour, so I'm trying to keep up with your metaphysics. Yeah, um, no, I've, I've, I, I was thinking like when I when I got into studying, like I really got into studying like the occult. I got into studying like when I was studying religions and all the world religions. That kind of led me into the occult because it's like you have all these mainstream religions and you have all these you know non-mainstream religions but they're all kind of from one side of the story and so you get into the occult and there's start to see different parts of the same stories and all the other um store and all the other stories you know and you start to see that a lot of this occult stuff isn't that much different from everything else that's going on in you know other mainstream religions and so you know really kind of broke that down and it was just like <clears throat> I'm a, I'm kind of a you know I'm kind of a firm believer that we are you know living in some sort of simulation. What that simulation is exactly, um, you know I'm I don't I won't dare to say, but I, I definitely have my own theories that I've you know concocted from my research that I've done on it. As far as just living life and an understanding, because that's the thing is like the way that I understand the, the way energy works in this world has just been you know phenomenal in my in my opinion because in understanding in understanding what i understand about life and what i understand about life is that we are part of nature and nature has characteristics that flow throughout and so everything in nature in order for it to work maximally efficient must find the path of least resistance you know what i mean 
um, because everything in the world is maximal is, is it's it's in order in the way that it works together with everything else it's it's about as efficient as it can get you know what I mean mm-hmm. uh, when you take in all the variables into account it's about as efficient as it can get the way that the bees pollinate you know f- things and create all this and just the way that everything works together right and that's what a lot of people don't really understand when they start looking into themselves and these kind of larger metaphysical concepts is it's not necessarily about what you are it's more about how you work in tandem with the flow of everything else right now you have to know what you are in order to get to that point but it's this thing is most people put the emphasis on what i am versus what i'm going to do about it you know what i mean and so it's like every, you have every. It's like you have everybody in the world that call, they all call themselves a god. No, oh, I'm a god. I'm a god. This. I'm a god. That. Okay. Well, what are you gonna do with it? Right. What are you gonna do with it? I'm. I. I when I figured out that I was a god, I said I'm going to build communities for the homeless, while doing what I love to do, which is make music and entertain people. And while I do that, and because I'm going to do that, it's kind of like my gratitude for being able to do that is giving back in that way by building the communities because I've, you know, figured out how all the systems need to work together to create sustaining communities that you would, you know, you could essentially live there for generations and never have to integrate with, you know, the capitalist pigs. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, and (laughs) that's the thing is I'm not, I'm not super anti-capitalism. I think capitalism is, you know, people don't understand capitalism. It's more, in capitalism, you have to become the capital for capitalism to work for you. If you're not the capital, capitalism isn't going to work for you. You're just a worker trying to obtain capital. But if you become capital, then capitalism tends to work for you better. And so, you know, that's why, you know, I'm doing all this branding for David Christ and the Apocalypse, yada, 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 because I have to utilize capitalist systems in order to build these communities. And so I had to find the balance of capitalism and and giving you know and and not being greedy you know it's like because that seems to be the biggest problem in the world when it comes to money is greed and so if i can make 20 million dollars with an album right i could actually take 19 million of that and probably put up about three communities that are fully sustainable with solar farms you know fresh water you know vertical farming I could take 19 million and probably put up like five communities that could house up, upwards of a thousand homeless people and become sustaining communities that didn't need constant influxes of money. They were just, they just self-sustained. And so there's, there, there's just, you know, that's the thing is like, so that's where it's like, I don't need a whole lot of money to live off of. I just need to pay off my child support and be able to eat. <laughs> so that's all I want in life. I want to eat. I want to I pay off my child support, and I want to be able to create and do things, and, and and you know help bring other people out of the mud of mental illness, because when you really stop accepting that mental Ill- illness is beating you, you have a chance to beat it, and I think that no matter what the mental illness is, you have a chance to beat it. You just have to understand it first, and. And a lot of people just get frustrated with themselves because we have such high expectations for ourselves that we don't give ourselves room to fail when we're trying to understand our mental illness. Excelsior. (laughs) We just want it to be done. And we have to have a more patient approach to our own mental illness before we can start seeing, you know, real healing coming from that. That, but, but like, you know, and it sounds like a joke because of the timing, but what you're saying is exactly the revelation. Um, I mean, a much more deep and honest and real version of it, but like the character in my favorite movie slash book, uh, about like, cause, cause, cause you just like, you know, he, they do the cliche Hollywood things of you have to acknowledge your problem that you have a problem to handle it. But it's it's really inspiring that you've you've really done that in your life a lot, and I I'm one super happy for you, and I want to thank you so much for sharing a lot of that journey as an artist, as a content creator, um, as a Renaissance man, as as someone who's starting their own church uh, with our podcast and community. 
today. Uh, it's we have um, been going for a while and uh, need to wrap up, but I want to give you one more opportunity to to uh, um, share if there's any projects, upcoming shows, things that you have that you want to be a part of or, or tell people about. How can they connect with you? I'll put all this stuff in the show notes too, all your contact info. But um, what yeah, sure. uh, what's next? Um, what's your goals? What are well, um, I'm still. Uh, once I film this movie, I'll have the money I need to legitimize my uh, paperwork for my church, um, and then I'll be a then I'll be an actual full functioning um, nonprofit organization at that point, uh, and then I can really kind of jump into fundraising mode. And so I'm just going to be doing a lot of publicity stuff. I try to do as much publicity stuff as I can over the next year, two years, because most of the stuff I've got is, is done um, when it comes to, you know, like my entertainment, for example. I've, you know, I've got albums, and I'm, gonna, and I'm not going to stop making music. So I've got albums, and so that's going to keep going. I'm going to keep doing, you know, now that I've gotten bitten by the acting bug, and it seems to pay more than anything else I've been getting, I think I'll uh, <laughs> follow that as far as I can. Um, but definitely, you know, looking to, I definitely want to get get the land. Um, I want to get the land from our first community by the uh, by, by the end of next year. I'm hoping to have at least have the land um, purchased by then, and then I can start. Uh, the first wave of the communities is going to be veterans. I want to get the veterans off the street. Um, because I don't think anyone who has, you know, been a victim of that system should be discarded. Um, and I pre- that's the things I appreciate what our troops have done. I don't necessarily agree with the people who make them do it, right? So I, it's, I don't take my own anti-government stance and hold it against the troops who were more than likely doing something with their best intentions, um, Dude, that is very appreciate. I mean, my myself, uh, being a veteran, I always love hearing that attitude you have because I have that same thing. Um, yeah, they get a lot of us when we're eighteen, and we right. don't, oh, and we don't it's, know it's, much better. And it's we're, it's, we're it's kind of a scam. Something. You know, it's kind of a scam. I mean, the world. I mean, we do need warriors, but we don't need to be fighting useless wars and and sacrificing, you know, people's children for Absolutely. things that aren't really gonna affect our daily and the other life. half of what you're saying too is and, and and even if you are going to do that at least follow up and give some some of the care uh fix some of the stuff you broke um right. you know <laughs> right and it's like they just you know it's like they go over it's like they go over there and they and they and they do whatever they're told and then they come back and then they're just thrown away you know, and I just have a deep like that's just a deep philosophical problem I have with that particular system, mm-hmm. and I think that um, you know, of course, there's some you know benefits to doing. It. I think you know, just just any 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 program that supports veterans is going to usually get some good press. Um, so I mean, it's all cyclic or it's all cyclical. You know, I want to I want to you know I want to do this so that I can do this and do this so that I can do this, and so. You know, part of that, you know, is building those communities because it just doesn't make sense that there are people who have fought wars that are that are on the streets. You know, absolutely. Like, that just that just doesn't feel right to me. And so that, that that's the first wave of because also this thing is a lot of my initiatives are very masculine driven because I think I think that's the thing is we don't really understand true masculinity because we're always fighting with each other and in order to really get our society back on track it's going to take the men of society to toughen up and stand up for what's truly right and and start building something for everyone because we can't keep living like this we can't keep living as you know adversaries well, there's, you know, we can, the technology's there, we can make life better for everyone, and it doesn't really affect anyone else's daily life. We don't have to have such extreme versions of poverty in this world. And if I can eliminate mental prop, mental poverty, then the rest will kind of fall into place. And so, 
I'm going to round up all the, you know, homeless people and get them healed and rested and, 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 you know, back to a point where they can live. Uh, if you want to learn more about that, you can go to lovesbelovedgarden.org. That's my church website. Uh, I got the www.davidchristintheapocalypse.com. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's it. Uh, awesome. Uh, I'm on the website right now. Um, David Christ, uh, we have had a fantastic time with you. Will you come back and let us know how all these projects are going, too? We'd definitely like to have you be a regular uh, yeah, guest man, anytime. on here. Keep, uh, anytime. You're one of my favorite comics. I'll, anytime. Just, one of just say the, word. the questions I forgot to ask you, though, but very important question, uh, and it comes from the Silver Linings Playbook, one of my favorite scenes. It can still be a date if you order raisin bread. What are your feelings? Can it still be a date if you order Raisin Bran for dinner? Well, that's the thing. I'm big on communication. So if, 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 it was, if it's a date, it, d- it doesn't matter what's being ordered, right? Spoken like a man that has an actual relationship going on. <laughs> right, yeah. If it's a... If it's, if, if, if it's a if it's a date, you can order whatever you want. It doesn't matter. <laughs> well, this has definitely been a date, and we can't wait to set up the next one. I'll be sure to have some Raisin Band. Uh, David Christ, thank you so much for joining us on the Silver Linings Playcast. Hey, thanks for having me. I had a great time. Absolutely. And thank you guys all for listening. Tune in next week and every other week after that until I get tired of this for all your content from, as far as I know, the only podcast solely devoted to talking about Silver Linings Playbook, the movie, and the Silver Linings Playbook, the book. Until next time, we will see you down the road and Excelsior. He's kind of crazy, she's a little insane. Keeping Kennedy really messes with his brain. One is divorced, the other's husband is dead. That's why it's so messed up in the head. It's a silver linings play cast. Oh yeah. Good night, everybody.